You are listening to Dearest Benjamin, a fictional podcast series by Verna A. Ringlander. We will begin right after this. Dance a little stranger. Show me where you've been. Love can make you hostage. Want to do it again? There's no time to think about the starting or the end. We'll find out, I'm told. My mother, she told me so. That road trip, when we had such a long conversation, do you remember that? I was on my way to Madison, alone, to get a few things from both Gio's parents' house and my Mima's to move up to New York City, which you now know didn't happen. It was a three-hour trip, and I got the notion to ring you about one hour down the highway, and you answered, and we spoke at length about Gio and me because I felt like I needed to let you know. We didn't have social media back then, and I didn't want you to hear about it from anyone else. I knew how you and Gio used to be friends, and I didn't know how you would take it. You seemed fine, delighted even. In case your memory has left you, as it does more frequently now at our age, I will briefly tell you that my divorce from Leaf was by then decided, but not yet final, when what happened between Gio and me began. It was the Christmas right after Leaf finally left, after lingering for months trying to convince me to change my mind. He went home to his family back in Madison for the first time without me, after spending Thanksgiving with his father at our house, while I made myself scarce as they loaded up his belongings and moved him out to his new apartment. Down the street. Yes, down the street. It was bothersome, to say the least, to have my ex as my neighbor, so you can understand what a lovely breath of fresh air it was for him to go home for the holidays, leaving me all alone for my first Christmas alone. The first of what would turn out to be quite a few, sadly. This one was mournful, but not entirely morose. When he rang me up and invited me to theirs for the festivities, I wasn't sure I'd be invited. My own parents, her parents-in-law, spent that Christmas with my sister and her kids in Chicago. My brother Garrett and Winnie had just moved to the Twin Cities a few years prior to this, and Winnie's parents stayed in Madison to spend Christmas with their sons still at home. I was supposed to stay the night at my brother and Winnie's on Christmas Eve, yet preferring not to go home to an empty house on Christmas Day, I ended up on a bender there for several more days. You may not have realized this, but over the years Leaf and I were married, Garrett and Leaf had grown rather close. It destroyed Garrett that we were separating, yet in a surprising show of solidarity, He never spoke to Leaf again when he found out we were breaking up, and why. So yes, we all got drunk and smoked a ton of weed. It was grief, but it was also wonderful. We laughed a lot. Not thinking anything of it, Winnie mentioned that Gio was in town to see everyone and that we should all get together. I heartedly agreed that it would be lovely to see him, and sure enough, The day I got home, with one of the last hangovers of my life that I didn't mind having, it didn't hurt too badly because of what it represented, 
I got a call from Gio asking if I would be free that evening for a night out in the city. Of course I told him yes, halfway believing that was the plan Winnie had suggested a few days prior. Benjamin, it was not the same plan. Gio had heard from around the old gang that I was single again, and he took me out for a lovely dinner and told me all about how Francesca and he tried off and on for years to make it work up in New York while he tried to get work on Broadway and then found his calling as a chef while she attended NYU and later Columbia Law, but that ultimately they decided just to be friends. I had, of course, heard all of this through the grapevine, but didn't let on. I, it was just so nice to have someone who could relate to this business of staying with someone from the old hound town. How displacing ourselves from that context removes so much of the veneer of what was ultimately a desperate clinging to a youth we could no longer relate to in the form of another human being we loved, but unfortunately couldn't stay with. We laughed and talked and walked all over downtown, and around midnight, he drove me back to my place and walked me to my door as old friends. I said goodnight and closed the door and tore off my clothes and stumbled happily right into bed with my makeup still on, grinning, resuming my buzz from my brother's house and ready to sleep it off some more. There was a knock at my door. I answered it. Gio stood there in the doorway, and before I could ask him if his old truck was having trouble starting, we were kissing passionately against the wall of my foyer. He stayed that night and the next. He went home the morning of New Year's Eve, back to New York. I was at a party Winnie and Garrett invited me to, presumably out of pity, but we were having a great time. I don't remember why, but I was dressed like Jackie Kennedy, with a wig and everything. Everyone was in costume, but not like a Halloween party, like a New Year's Eve theme party, which is somehow different from Halloween in ways that are hard to articulate. I believe the theme was involved, was it dead people? I cannot recall. I broke away from the crowd to smoke a cigarette and Winnie latched onto my elbow to bum one off me and get some fresh air together. I had just kissed my brother's friend Adrian moments before at the stroke of midnight and I had no idea how Garrett would feel about that and I don't even remember if he ever even found out. But Winnie saw the whole thing and thought it was hilarious and most definitely wanted to gush about it over a smoke. Just then, must have been no later than 12, 10 a.m. My cell phone rang from inside my purse, and standing yards away from Winnie, I swear, no way she could have seen my phone screen or who was calling as she lit her cigarette. I answered that 212 number I hadn't had a chance to program into my contacts yet. I wish you were here, I remember him saying. I wish you were here too, I remember saying back. I don't remember anything else, and we didn't speak long, but my heart felt absolutely stricken. As I hung up the phone, and as Winnie walked back closer to me, having given me the requisite buffer of privacy space between us, she wore a look of surprise and consternation. Do not tell me that was Gio. Ha! It was! 
How did you know? You're amazing, Winnie. Her brow furrowed. Why is Geo calling you to wish you a happy new year? And what's this about wish you were here? I stood there puzzled, yet amused. Winnie's psychic ability with me had long gone unquestioned at this point in our long, strong friendship. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Winnie's face softened, but she still looked confused. And you were just making out with Adrian? Oh gosh, Winnie, it was just a little New Year's kiss. She gasped. You hooked up with Geo while he was here, she yelled, half as a question, half as an exclamation. I blushed and took a drag from my cigarette. You horny, divorced bitch, she laughed heartily and hugged me aggressively. I was glad she was happy about it, at least while she was drunk. Sobered up, months later, after commiserating with at least several of our old mutual friends, they seemed to speak unanimously. I don't think this is a good idea, you and Gio. Too much drama. Well, my eyes widened. It's nothing serious. He lives far away. I'm still seeing other people, and so is he. Francesca? No. Are you sure about that? Of course I'm sure. I wasn't sure, but at that point I didn't care. Until one night, I tried to call multiple times, and Gio didn't answer. I don't know why, but I got really upset. Even though one of those call attempts happened in the parking lot of the apartment complex of a guy I was dating, whose place I was just leaving after watching a movie just to make sure I got out in time to ring Gio or catch the phone in case he called me. The next day he rang me up laughing, saying he had a rip-roaring time with Francesca the night before who showed up unannounced with a bottle of Jack Daniels, his favorite, as you likely recall. And they split the thing. She crashed at his place, he said. I grilled him and hard. And for what? I had been making out with some guy, his hand up my shirt, probably about the same time Francesca showed up at Gio's door. I played the innocent victim. I played up my tears. He apologized. Hell, Francesca herself called me and apologized and assured me that their days of physical affection were long over and that she would never do anything like that again and that I was really important to Gio. From there, things got serious and it was then that I felt I needed to let you know. You and I had been speaking at that point about monthly, if I remember correctly, and ever since I knew in my heart I would be splitting up with Leaf. Frankly, I don't know why I felt so strongly about getting back in touch with you at that time. I am certain of how that must have looked to you, or to an outsider. It's humiliating to admit that's probably correct, that some part of me wanted to know I could grasp onto you like a jungle vine and swing back into your life after Leaf was gone. And well, you seemed receptive there for a while. 
I was cautiously metering the timbre of your voice and mentally recording the words you spoke in those conversations to pick apart in wild-eyed wonder as I lay my head down at night. Your timing, every time you rang me up, would be impeccable. Carol, who came out as a lesbian about that time to no one's surprise, started taking me to poetry readings to cheer me up and get me out of the house while Leaf was still lurking around there. I stayed many nights at her house. I secretly wanted to make out with her, but please don't tell her that. Just as someone finished a poem that struck me so strongly in such a way that you entered my mind, the words that they used and the situations they described in their poetry, my phone vibrated out of my pocket and revealed your name as we were snapping our fingers in applause. I stepped outside in the cold drizzle without my jacket and lit up a smoke or two shivering as we spoke for a good half hour or so. Another time, in the summer, right about the time Leaf and I agreed it was over, I sat on the bumper of my car as the sun went down on a rather hot day. I was wearing short shorts and a tank top, and I was drenched in sweat. I took a walk with you, cradling my phone against my ear with both hands just to feel a breeze in the air against my forward motion. That time, I came back and Leaf was visibly upset. He could tell from my happy expression I was talking to someone, probably even suspected it was you specifically, someone that made me smile anyway, that wasn't him. The time after that, I was out shopping for furniture right after Leaf vacated our house, taking everything. You called just as I was paying at checkout having just applied for a brand new credit card to get the discount the cashier promised. I paid the card off immediately and never used it again, but kept it for posterity for an embarrassingly long time in my wallet, remembering it was one of the best times we spoke at some length. I sat in the parking lot of the department store long after it closed and the employees left. Night fell. I didn't want it to end. I didn't want to go home to an empty house and assemble furniture either. We spoke until my phone's battery died. It must have been over an hour. At some point in these conversations, you told me about Letitia. I let it go in one ear and out the other. You really only mentioned her and didn't say too much. I didn't have the full picture. I hope that explains why I grew so bold and ask you if she was, how did I put it? permanent? I don't believe we'll be breaking up in the foreseeable future, you said. And it hurt me in a way I really shouldn't have. A way that bore no relation to your intention of saying so. And I wondered why you even bothered. I found myself spitting mad about it for days, really letting it stew in my head and letting it fuel me as I went bar hopping to meet up with friends and find any number of possible rebounds that weekend. At one bar, I still see it so clearly in my mind. I saw some really pretty girl, a sweet-looking girl with rosy cheeks and bleach-blonde hair, just like you like it, wearing a cowboy hat and drinking a beer. In my mind, I imagined she was some sweet Texan girl up visiting us types in middle America and having herself a good time. 
living it up on vacation with a bunch of her girlfriends. At first, I tried to burn holes into her skin with my eyes with envy and spite, imagining that was probably what Letitia looked like. Oddly enough, she looked exactly like Letitia. And after a few beers of my own, watching her, I pretended she actually was Letitia. And with the help of lots of alcohol, completely convinced myself she was, in fact. Yet, the more convinced I became, the more incapable I was of hating her, or even being jealous of her. I just wanted her to be good to you. From the moment we first reconnected, when I took that trip alone to see Conrad and that terrible boyfriend of his at their house on the lake, I felt like you and I, that there was some sort of understanding what that meant. I was obviously quite wrong about that. All the same, I got Conrad's blessing on that trip to go home and end it with Leaf for all the reasons that didn't concern you, because Leaf was only going to keep hurting me and making terrible choices, and most of all, we both knew he was never going to stop. Conrad went to symphony rehearsal, and I was alone, and I still had your number memorized. I could pass it off as a curiosity, no big deal. Two old friends, reconnecting and reminiscing, I told myself, as I sat on Conrad's balcony and dialed your number and watched the boats on the lake while we spoke, which is exactly what happened. And it was so lovely to hear your voice after all that time. When Conrad got home, he and his boyfriend shook their heads at me and Conrad glowered and leaned right into my face and set his hand on my shoulder and said, be good. I'll never forget, though, a very important time you called, right after Gio and I broke up, when I was going to lunch with a co-worker at my temp job, riding in the passenger seat of his car. We had been playing footsie in the conference room and had started to make some rather dangerous gestures and facial expressions to each other in the break room. He had his hand on my leg, wandering upward, and we were going somewhere, anywhere, to be alone and let off some steam together. My phone rang, and it was you. You said, I have something really important to tell you. Oh, what is it? I wanted to squeal. Did you break up with Letitia? I'm not disturbing you, am I? You asked. You sounded frantic. Because I really do need to talk to you. No, not at all, I exclaimed as my co-worker squeezed my thigh with anticipation. It sounds like you're in a car, you said. Are you driving? No, someone else is. We're on our way to lunch. Oh, no bother. I'll call back later. Promise? Promise. I absolutely will. That was the last time I ever heard your voice. I tried and tried to call you, spacing my efforts intentionally enough to seem random and casual, and your voicemail picked up every time. And sometimes I left one, but mostly I didn't. I didn't want to seem desperate. A few months later, Walter texted me to say that I should call him when I had a moment, that he had some gossip for me. Or did he say, news? 
I don't remember. I just remember that from his text, he seemed excited. And when he answered, he was brimming over with enthusiasm. Letitia had the baby. Who? Letitia and Ben, they had their baby last night. For Walter's sake, I acted elated. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. You didn't know? No, I haven't spoken to Benjamin in months. Yeah, they had a baby boy. Big, healthy little guy. Named him Vincent. Like a Van Gogh? Yeah, maybe Letitia likes Van Gogh. I don't know. Surely it had nothing to do with my back being covered by a tattoo of Van Gogh's Starry Night. The one I had just had done when I went to visit you that summer when I was 18, which was so new it was still a little sore and when it's almost done peeling. Surely you didn't say, hey, Letitia, let's name our firstborn child after my old lover's tattoo. You wouldn't do that, would you? Of course not, right? I told Walter to please send you my sincerest best wishes. I got into my car and drove straight to the lakes, to Conrad's house. No one was there. I tried calling Conrad, but he didn't answer. I walked over to a nearby convenience store and bought a cheap bottle of champagne. Neatly tucked in a brown paper bag, I sat on Conrad's balcony as I had a little over a year and a half before, the same balcony where I decided to leave my husband, and in that year found love and lost it in our old friend, Gio. I wedged the bottle between my bare knees and popped the cork. It spilled over my legs and onto my sandals, bubbles tickling between my toes. A breeze caught my legs and gave me goose flesh. I took a swig and got the notion to wash myself off in the lapping waves at the beach. I tucked the bottle of champagne under my arm, hoping no authority would come and stop me. No one was around. I kicked off my sandals and marched thigh deep into the water. I raised my bottle to the setting sun and yelled over the rushing waves to Vincent and chugged a little bit more champagne. I laughed and laughed and then I sat down and cried. I didn't wail or make a scene or anything. I just quietly wept and polished off the bottle of champagne in the dark. Conrad and company didn't come home until after midnight, and he found me crumpled on his deck chair on the balcony and led me gently into a guest room to sleep it off. As he tucked me into bed, I told him everything I knew about baby Vincent. Oh, he sighed sympathetically. I'm so sorry, honey. That's terrible news. Thank you, I responded. Please don't tell anyone I feel that way. Don't worry, I won't. I'm sure that's the last we'll hear from old Benjamin anyhow. That's how these things go. But I know it must hurt, sweetheart. It kind of does, but I'm happy for him. Of course you are, darling, because after all this time, after everything that happened, you're still a good friend. I love you, Conrad. I love you too, you stupid girl, he said turning off the seashell-encrusted lamp. Now get a good night's sleep, and I'll make you breakfast in the morning. 
I grabbed my phone and texted you, congratulations, in all caps, and fell fast asleep. Thankfully, you never texted back. But when June rolled around a few months later, I sent you an e-card to wish my friend a happy first Father's Day, to which you replied via email, I don't know what to say. I moved to the lakes to live with Conrad for a while. I got a job at an upscale yarn shop, and before long I had saved enough to get my own tiny apartment just down the way from him, and what's his name, right before they broke up and Conrad got kicked out. I nursed Conrad through that terrible time, and we went dancing a lot, and slept in the same bed, and went on long hikes and had long, deep talks. Conrad's mom died of cancer around that time. I wore my wedding rings and attended the funeral on his arm as if I was his wife. His siblings played right along. His distant relatives were none the wiser. We got an apartment together in the Twin Cities. He worked as a barista to get himself through medical school. We both dated people, and we always hated whoever the other was dating. We spent evenings without dates eating popcorn and making fun of whomever we brought home last. I joined my first band as lead singer. I wrote a few songs about Leaf. I wrote a few songs about the idiots I was dating. We performed shows. I'm fairly certain I put your email on the mailing list to receive info about our upcoming shows. I know Walter was. He came to a few when he was in town. One night after a show, the three of us were drinking and the conversation naturally turned to the good old days. Walter piped up, Oh, Ben and Letitia had their baby. Another one? I chirped and took a healthy swig to polish off my beer. Conrad shifted uncomfortably in his chair. Yeah, another boy. Named him Walter. Oh, after you. How sweet. And that's such a nice classic name, I said, and quickly changed the subject.